Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wednesday, May 12, 2021, Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Jack Case High School 
here in Houston, Texas, where earlier today I awarded two students $1,000 scholarships. We'll show you some of that also. We'll talk to Harris County Commissioner uh, Rodney Ellis, as well as State Senator Boris Miles about Republican efforts to enact voter suppression here in this state. They are specifically targeting folks here in Harris County. They do not like how folks, black folks, have been turning out to the polls, and they are trying to actually rig the election. So we'll talk to them about that. Also, we'll talk to a state rep and a TV anchor out of Dallas, Tashara Parker, about the Crown Act. And that bill went to the floor of the Texas House that will outlaw uh, hair discrimination. We'll talk with both of them about that as well. Plus, uh, next door is a thriving social community. Uh, we'll talk to uh, one of the leaders about next door and exactly how that could be, how it could impact you in your life can actually get to know who your neighbors are. Folks, uh, we've got a jam-packed show, lots to show, lots to talk about on Old Roller Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Houston, Texas. It's time to bring the funk. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to All right, folks, we are broadcasting live from Jack Yates High School here in Houston's Third Ward. This is my alma mater, where a little bit earlier today, I awarded uh, the first Roland Martin scholarships to two of the students here. And so uh, we're glad to be here. Uh, and also, of course, we'll be talking uh, to a number of top elected officials here in this area. Uh, also, folks, this is take go to the drone shot. We're also the campus of, uh, I graduated from here, so did George Floyd. What you're seeing right now is the George Floyd uh, mural. Uh, that was painted here right in front of the high school. Uh, and uh, this, of course, uh, was in honor of George Floyd, uh, who was killed, of course, uh, in Minneapolis uh, just uh, a year ago on May 25th. George Floyd uh, played football here at Jack Yates. And so this is uh, one of the ways uh, they honored him here. Uh, this is literally painted uh, on the street. And you see there, that was his football jersey uh, that George Floyd uh, actually wore uh, when he played football here at Jack Yates High School. Uh, and so we want Wanted to, of course, uh, be able to uh, broadcast this show and give you a sense of that as well, because so much, of, of course, uh, has happened uh, in this country uh, in the wake of his death. Uh, what one of the things that we saw, of course, uh, in uh, the election in 2020, we saw a significant turnout as folks went to the polls uh, to uh, elect President Joe Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, uh, to their offices. In addition, uh, Democrats took control of the United States Senate. John Ossoff, Raphael Warnock winning those Senate seats there in Georgia. That is what has ticked off Republicans. Today, Republicans uh, threw out Liz Cheney, the number three in the leadership in the House, because of her criticism of Donald Trump. 
That's how they do it. Uh, but what's been happening in the state level, we have seen massive voter suppression uh, in the state, uh, and especially here in Texas. Uh, Republicans here, okay, angry with turnout here in Harris County, where Houston is located, Dallas County as well, changing the laws to rig the elections. That's what they have been doing. They have been, the evil folks have been busy in the state capital of Austin, Texas. And let's go live to Austin right now, where uh, Houston uh, State Senator Boris Miles is right now. Uh, Senator Miles, uh, my alpha brother, glad to have you on Roland Martin Unfiltered. It's good to see you, Brother Martin. It's really good to see you back on the yard, my brother. Uh, indeed, indeed. Always glad to be back at JY in the tray. Uh, let's let's talk about uh, again what y'all have been fighting in Austin. Uh, it has been a whole lot uh, of evil taking place uh, as Republicans uh, again claimed safe elections when it happened, but now they're passing all of these uh, laws. Why? Well, I can tell you why, brother Martin. Um, because we increased our voting. We had 1.6 million people turn out in our last voting site. We had a very, uh, a team led by a young brother by the name of Chris Hollins, who was our county clerk uh, for the county of Harris. And he and his team did a very good job of thinking outside of the box with new things that we could get to turn our people out, like 24-hour voting, drive-through voting. Uh, these things increased our numbers. Um, so, with the increase of numbers for the Harris County area, it really got the attention of the Republican Party. You've got to understand, Harris County probably has one of the top, in, within the top five block of African-American Democratic voting voters in the country. So, it, it put fear in their hearts. It put fear in their hearts to the fact that they uh, tried to investigate and claim that some of our elected leaders, our great elected leaders in the Harris County area, such as, I think he's going to be on with us. Uh, uh, Rodney Ellis, Commissioner Rodney Ellis, our great Sheila Jackson Lee and myself, uh, they tried, they hired a private investigator, Brother Martin, at the tune of $250,000 to find evidence that we had committed voter fraud. After that $250 he spent on nothing, nothing was produced out of it. Brother Martin, there is no organized voter fraud going on here in Harris County. There is no organized voter fraud going on in the state of Texas. What's happening is we're waking people up. We're doing things as innovative and getting people to the polls. And just because the state, the state uh, uh, codes, election codes, <clears throat> doesn't speak to a manner such as drive-through voting, does not mean it's illegal. They're trying to make it illegal in this SB7. That's what's going on now. So we're here doing, doing a stellar job, continue to shake people up, to get them out to vote, to make sure they exercise their right to vote, to keep our democracy strong, and we've gotten their attention, brother. It's just that simple. Senator Miles, I had some, I've had folks uh, hit me up on social media, and, and they've said, hey, Democrats uh, aren't, aren't fighting uh, hard enough. There's a stat that I came across last night, though, that people need to understand. Of the 99 legislative bodies in the United States, Republicans control 61 of them. And so for the people out there who complain about voting, the people out there who say it's not important, why y'all doing this? Again, it's hard to sit here and stop Republican-led voter suppression 
when they control 61 out of 99. That means that two-thirds of all legislative chambers in the United States are controlled by Republicans. There are 31 Republican governors. They control 30 both chambers. And so that's the difficulty here in Texas. Democrats were five seats away in 2020 from taking control of the House. They were not able to do so. And so when you're trying to deal with gerrymandering and voter suppression, it's a little hard to do it when you don't have control of at least one of the bodies. That's correct. And, you know, my Republican colleagues get very offended when I refer to this as Jim Crow legislation. Well, dog, that's what it is. It's intimidation, it's suppression. You know, too much power can, can be corrupted. And I, like you said, they have the control now, but they're trying to hold on to it because they now see, in the wake of all the social injustice that we're dealing with, they now see that they're doing what I said on the Senate floor in my debate. They kicked the bed. And I'm hoping and praying, uh, Roland, and it's gonna be working toward it, Brother Martin, that we not only turn out more young voters, not only increase our numbers of 1. from 1.6 to 2.6, okay? Because now is a time that we, as people of color, African-American, Latinx, Asian, now is a time that we have to stand up because they are trying to deteriorate our democracy for what we've made so many advances in. So it's time to stand up. We're going to be working very, we're going to actually be working harder here in Harris County than, than we did in the last election cycle. I'm going to see to it. You'll be proud of your old hometown. Um, we, obviously, we talked about the voter suppression bill, uh, the census gerrymandering. Again, Republicans in Texas refused to really put money into the census. I was reading one story. Democrats should be making gains in Texas because of the increase in the Hispanic population. Republicans are going to use that to gerrymander to give them more seats. That's the thing that I keep trying to also explain to people that they don't seem to understand that lack of voting, not filling up the census, goes hand in hand with gerrymandering. Right. And, and as you know, we, we, we redistrict every 10 years here in Texas, and we're in the middle of a redistricting right now. Our census numbers are late, as you, as you alluded to. We will probably have to come back for a special session in September, October, November sometime once we've received our numbers. And you got to understand something else. Because they have the leadership now in this, in this building, they will be drawing the lines. We'll have very little input onto what our, our, our district lines look like, our congressional lines look like. Um, and I can tell you, like you said, we're supposed to get three new congressional seats. It's predicted. Now they're saying two. And I can tell you that they are going to try to use that against us and hold that over our head. And we will have very little say, Brother Martin, in what our districts look like. But quite frankly, I can't see how they can gerrymander anymore some of our, our, our minority districts. I mean, my district goes from all the way north to south of the Beltway 8, as you know, all the way down to North Sharon, Texas. So what are they going to take me to, Galveston? But well, uh, this is what happens again the, uh, when, when you have power, and this is why uh, I am consistently trying to explain to folks who watch this show, we cannot ignore voting on the federal and the state level. For the people who are watching who then say, man, I don't see any policies being enacted, 
This is what happens when you don't have power. And so when they are in power, listen, 85 percent of the people who voted for Donald Trump were white. The Republican Party is a white party. 61 percent of the people who voted for Joe Biden are white. That means that 39 percent of Joe Biden's vote totals came from people of color, minority voters. That's what we need folks to understand with what's going on here. And so for the people who yell and scream, voting is a waste of time, but then they turn around and complain about lack of policy, well, guess what? You now see what happens when you don't vote, so you can't act like voting has no direct correlation with policy. Brother Martin, you're exactly right. Elections have consequences. Not voting have consequences. And what we're suffering through right now, the lack of leadership and the lack of... I've, I've been serving for 15 years. And in 15 years, Brother Martin, I've never served in the majority. I can't wait till that day comes. But our people have to realize elections have consequences. And all those brothers that are telling you, I'm not seeing no serious policy getting moved. I don't see anything happening for our, our, our communities and our, our people. Well, you know what? As long as we haven't pushed the ball uphill, and as long as we're in the, in the minority, and double minorities, we're going to continue to have, you know, what's Jim, what I call Jim Crow legislation popping up, and they're going to continue to push the push it as far as they can. I mean, right here in Texas, I, I think you want to talk about that too. We're now going to have something called free carry, Uncon what they call unconstitutional carry. I don't call it unconstitutional carry, Brother Martin, because that has nothing to do with the Constitution. It has to do with this being the state of Texas. And when I say the state of Texas, they're opening up the doors and, and claiming this is the wild, wild west. And anybody can carry a concealed weapon. And it doesn't have to be concealed. Anybody can carry a firearm, Brother Martin. They can carry it into police stations. They can carry it into the churches now. They can carry it into universities. You can be a felon. You can be a criminal. And you're able to carry and you'll be able to carry a firearm. Now, I want you, as I explained in my debate to my colleague, my white colleague, Imagine what that's going to do to communities like what you and I grew up in. Brothers freely walking around, brothers and sisters freely walking around with firearms on the side, on the outside of their shirts. Imagine how much probable cause that's going to give police officers to now start, you know, stopping people and pulling them over. And again, well, this and is I again why we why we emphasize. This again, this is why we emphasize that, uh, look, you can sit here and yell, scream, uh, tweet and whine all day on social media about voting, how it means nothing. But then if you don't, that's why I simply say, shut the hell up. Texas State Senator Boris Myers, I appreciate you it, sir. Thank you so very much. Uh, keep up the fight in Austin. Will do, brother. Good to see you. Likewise, thanks a lot. Let me go to my panel, A. Scott Bolden, former uh, chair, uh, chair of the National Bar Association Political Action Committee, Monique Presley, lawyer crisis manager. Also uh, joining us is uh, Pastor Lee May, Transforming Faith Church, former CEO of DeKalb County, Georgia. Glad to have all of you uh, here. Uh, uh, Scott, the point, that point, well, first of all, let me do this here. I'm in Texas, so Monique, I'll go ahead and start with you first. Because uh, you oh, got you from down song. the street. Uh, Monique's not here. Back. Okay. Okay. Well, first of all, Scott, get over it. But, Scott, you lucked up. She's not here. So she'll be here a little bit later. So you lucked up. So shut up. Uh, so, again, th this is the thing that I, I, I keep – Then uh, again, there are people who sit here all day, and they talk on social media, and they whine, they complain, they sit here and say, I mean, I got these fools. Oh, man, you sitting here, you know, shilling for the Democratic Party, you know, about voting for Biden. And I'm sitting there going, 
Okay, take your pick. You got one party that wants to make it difficult to vote, wants to get rid of curbside vote, not wants to. They have outlawing curbside voting. They're outlawing drive-through voting. They're now putting uh, ballot drop boxes inside of voting locations. They're cutting the hours of early voting locations. They're changing all of the rules. Democrats support expanding voter access, expanding same-day voter registration. But then you got these fools saying, oh, I can't believe you were sitting there telling folk uh, vote for Joe Biden. It was two choices, Trump, Biden. Which one your punk asses wanted? <laughs> Well, well, you certainly make great point. I think the most telling statistic, Roland, is the fact that the Republicans control uh, the majority of the uh, state houses and the majority of the state senate and state rep houses across the country. You cannot forget about voting at that local level because you see now where we're gerrymandering, where the census has come out, and you're going to see them stretch out. It's the most anti-democratic thing after you lose an election to then want to have fewer people vote and suppress more voters as opposed to wanting to expand your voting base to get more votes than the um, than the Democrat. But the Republicans know their ideas, their legislation, and their views of the world just aren't that popular. And so they're left in this with this power vacuum. And the power vacuum says voter suppression, gerrymandering, and let's lock out and make it difficult or as many people of color or Democratic voters, wherever they may be in whatever state, let's shut them down. Because remember, the big lie is the narrative of the big lie is being driven not by GOP voters, but was driven by Donald Trump and other congressional leaders and state leaders. And so then the reaction was our GOP voters listened to that leadership and then said, we lack confidence in the result. You didn't lose confidence in the results. You lost confidence that you could win, and you're upset about not being able to win. And expanding the voter base only hurts your chances to win in the future. This is my uh, Leah, I'll go to you. I mean, th this is the thing that, and again, I, I, I keep trying to connect voting, who wins with public policy. Yeah. Right. What you are seeing is what happens when... Republicans win state rep, state Senate seats. And for the people who seem not to understand this, the state rep and the state senators, they control the lines that are drawn in the state. So then they are able, when we say gerrymandering, they are able to now draw lines that make it easier for them to win, for Democrats to lose, to disenfranchise voters who did not vote for Republicans. And so even if you have a massive Democratic turnout, and we've seen this in Wisconsin and other states, they still was maintain power because they have been able to gerrymander the districts. And the Supreme yeah. Court, the conservative Supreme Court, said we don't get involved in political disputes. That's up to the state Supreme Court. Well, guess what? Those are gerrymandered. So Republicans control yes. the state Supreme Courts. So you're never going to be able to get out of yeah. this box. And so black power, Latino power is diluted because of gerrymandering. And for the folks who say don't vote, you are making this possible.
Well, my good alpha brother, I'm going to say amen and let's go home. Oh, you my goodness gracious. Oh. <laughs> More alpha. You have Dang. said it all, brother. It's it's ridiculous, man. It is the quintessential example of moving the goalposts. You don't like your election results, the fact that you lost, and so you're going to change the rules, man. That's what exactly what happened in Georgia. It's happening in Texas right now. It happened in Florida. And they won the election in Florida, the presidential election, and so many other seats. But they see the writing on the wall, and they keep changing the rules to benefit them. And what are they doing? They're they're prolonging their power and influence by changing these rules. And let me also connect something to what you just said. When they tore up the Voting Rights Act some years ago, when they tore that up and they removed the formula of, of determining which state has to has to have preclearance before you can change rules, let me tell you what happened in Georgia. When they continued to gerrymander those districts, they 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 put all the black folk in in, in competing districts, and then they said, "Well, we wanted to make sure that um, that our current black elected officials uh, are safe in their seats." They put them all together, right, so that we couldn't be competitive in other uh, districts uh, all throughout the state. And so they use uh, the Voting Rights Act, and they, they reference the Voting Rights Act to, to, to actually prove their point of why uh, they put black folk in the same districts, quote-unquote, to call it safe for them, man. It's just ridiculous. In Georgia, you know, our current governor, a uh, man who signed that suppressive voter... Uh, legislation, man. The, the, a picture paints a thousand words, right? In that private room, in his room, a room full of white men. It's not wrong with white men. It's a it's a problem with all white men, white white men in the same room, right? And standing up underneath a a painting that pictures a plantation, man. If that didn't tell you all that you needed to know about what was going on, all along the while, uh, a black woman is knocking on the door trying to get in right outside the governor's office, a state legislator that says, hey, I want to get in. I want to talk. And they arrest her. Man, if we don't go, if we're not back in the Jim Crow era, man, I don't know what else is, man. And unfortunately, you got games that are being played, man, uh, with with our voting rights. We support greater voter access, right? And anything that even looks like it is suppressing or reducing or limiting uh, voter access to the ballot, man, we got to reject it, man. But they know what they're doing. It's a reason why the governor in Georgia signed the that piece of legislation the next, the same day it was passed. It's a reason. Man, that's unheard of. Man, the governor is still signing legislation, and our legislature has been out of uh, out of session now for weeks and weeks now. The governor never signs legislation like that, let alone when it's so controversial like this. Man, we gotta we gotta continue to fight. Man, we gotta continue to fight for federal legislation that is expanding a greater voter access and restricting these voter uh, suppressive actions that we've been seeing in Georgia and Florida and Texas and other places all across the country. Uh, let's talk about uh, Arizona, folks, uh, where uh, the governor there uh, signed a new voting bill over the objections of many Democrats. It's going to purge of more than 100,000 Latinos for the voting rolls. Listen to this. This bill is simple. It's all about election integrity. 
if an individual is signed up to automatically be mailed an early ballot and then stops voting entirely for a full four years, their county recorder will ask them if they still want to automatically be mailed a ballot. If they respond, they'll continue receiving one. If they don't respond, here's what happens. They will remain a registered voter. They can still request an early ballot. And they can also show up at the polls in person on Election Day. Compare this to California. They actually remove voters without any notice at all or opportunity to remain on the list. Our law is better and provides more accessible ballot access than California and many other places that opponents of this bill tend to point to as pillars of democracy, like New York and Washington, D.C. This change will ensure that active voters continue to receive a ballot and free up resources for county recorders to use on priorities like election security and voter education. Let's be clear. Despite all the deceptive and heated rhetoric being used by some partisan activists to lobby against this reform, not a single Arizona voter will lose their right to vote as a result of this new law. Well, here's the deal, Scott. Why in the hell have a new law? See, this is this all is election integrity. It's all a lie. All we are seeing is a massive lie because Donald Trump has Republicans supporting the big lie. Lies, lies, and all lies. I mean, just what it no, is. We can't hear you. We can't hear you. No, here's the deal. Muted for some reason. Uh, Ka- can you hear me? Uh, I wish we your campers know how to use your computers. Now we can hear you. <laughs> okay. Okay, so so look at what you you just ran a clip on Arizona, right? So Arizona, if right. all of that's true, then why do you need the bill, right? So if you can still be on the, if you still vote, if you can still be on, get a ballot, then why are you passing legislation to purge hundreds of thousands of people from the rolls if there's going to be a follow-up question, and if you say yes, then you can continue to vote? It's a solution in search of a problem. But they know that if they purge, that people aren't going to re-sign up, that perhaps they may not get that Q&A from the Secretary of State It creates all kinds of potential problems. And then here's the kicker in Arizona. If those people aren't voting and they're on the absentee ballot rolls, then what difference does it make if they're not voting anyway? And if you call them and ask them, they can still vote and they'll still be able to get an absentee ballot. It it, it borders on the nonsensical. So so that's why Arizona is is so... um, it's so onerous because they're creating these onerous procedures for voters knowing that Hispanic voters, black voters, people of color voters um, uh, are going to get short shrift on it. Exactly, man. And, well, and the and, reality... And what the, and, 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 and... Lee, no, no, go, ahead, gonna... go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, man, I was going to say, man, you're absolutely right, man. It's like they're looking for a, a solution to a place where there's not a problem. Look, when when you hear them talk about election integrity, uh, election security, man. Just say lie right after that, right? Because here's the reality. When any company 
uh, really focuses in on security and integrity of their systems, guess what? You don't hear anything about it. Colonial Pipeline. I'm down in Georgia, man. We got lines waiting on gas stations right now trying to get some gas, right, because of this ransomware hack that is going on uh, with Colonial Pipeline. I guarantee you they're not um, uh, uh, projecting to the world the next uh, measure of security that they're going to put in place to prevent this from happening, man. Any level of security or integrity with that system, man, has nothing to do with what they're doing. But I'll tell you what's, what they are doing. They are taking the number of people that voted in 2020 and 2021 during the special election in Georgia, and they're saying, okay, we're going to make sure it's going to be less people that are available to vote now. We're going to make it more difficult now for them to vote now. We're going to put special things in place, special obstacles in place, so that it'll make it more difficult for them to vote. What does that sound like? It sounds like Jim Crow era laws. It sounds like a literacy test. It sounds like a poll tax. It sounds like a voting test. Measures that were put in place that didn't say black folk. It, it, it didn't say Negroes or anything else. It said it had their different um, things that were in place that were caused. It didn't that 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 were intended to reduce the number of black people that were available to vote, man. That's why it's so similar to what's going on in Jim Crow, because they're intentionally putting in, me- in yep. place measures that are hindering people's ability to vote, man. It's as simple as that. But, but, but Roland, Roland, here's Roland, one last quick Roland, point. Roland, 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 361 Roland. bills, voter suppression bills, in and around the country, right? In, in, not, in not one of those jurisdictions is their empirical data su- to support that we have a voter election security issue. The data doesn't exist. And so it's all political rhetoric on the GOP side. Think about it. 361 bills, no empirical data to support of course. that there's voter security issue. And that's why it's called the big lie. Uh, folks, we're going ret- to come back to this topic in just a moment. Let's now go back to Austin, uh, where uh, the Texas House uh, will soon be considering a bill that could outlaw discrimination when it comes to hair. A House Bill uh, 3, uh, first of all, look at the number here. The, it's called House Bill 392. Uh, the Crown Act. We've seen other states pass this. California was the first that outlawed discrimination based upon someone's hair. Uh, there have been a number uh, of folks uh, who have been fighting this. This impact African-Americans uh, more so than anyone else. Joining us right now uh, from Austin, Texas uh, is Representative uh, Retta Bowers and also uh, my fellow Texas A&M Aggie, Tashara Parker, who is an anchor at WFAA Dallas uh, Channel 8. Uh, she has been uh, quite uh, vocal about this uh, and talking about natural hair and her buns and her bun movement. Uh, and so we'll, uh, we'll, get, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. And Representative Bowers, I want to start with you. I mean, this is this is this is an issue that black women face. I remember looking at. I remember I was engaged in a debate with a Republican. Uh, they were trying to they were trying to tell me there's no discrimination in America. Then I went to the EEOC website and came across a story of a black woman who was a psychologist. She applied for a job at the Veterans, Veterans Affairs there in Virginia. Impeccable credentials. Great interview. When she walks out. A white guy on the panel says, I-, I just don't like her hair. I did not like her cornrows. She didn't get the job. She sued. She won. Taxpayers had to pay nearly $100,000. Had nothing to do with her credentials, nothing to do with her knowledge. He didn't like her hair. That is what 
a lot of black folks are facing. We've had cases here in Texas where young men have been kicked out of school, forced to cut their hair because it didn't abide by someone's idea of what's acceptable. That's right. Thank you, Roland. And, you know, it's great to, to have a moment to chat with you about it, but that you're exactly right. Um, you, you know, we, we have plenty of women, men and children who are facing this type of hair discrimination. Uh, some of those people were on the here in Austin with us talking about uh, their experiences. You talked about Tashara's Bun Ministry and all that she's done. We had young Maddox Cozart. He he was here at the press conference. His mom, they're still continuing to take him out to check his hair on a daily basis. Um, <clears throat> he was in in school suspension. We had Dakari Davis who spoke at the press conference. He's a Dallas police officer. I do believe Tashar did a uh, interview with him recently, and he, uh, you know, he cut his hair. He had his hair wore his hair in cornrows, and he cut his hair to keep his job, keep his family fed, to keep a roof over their head, heads. And and it is um, it is racism that we as a people people are still facing and as you said just because they they didn't like someone's hair the day that uh we got uh, a hearing and were able to lay out house bill 392 um to me was movement for this bill that that i really didn't think would we would see so i was elated at the idea that we had a chance to begin this conversation here in texas and begin is really what i want to say because um i really thought the press conference was all that we would be able to do but um having that conversation starting the conversation was was wonderful i knew that we were also going to be um having to do a lot of education and awareness. But what I what I started to say was after the layout, I had a longtime Texas House male member come up to me in a very apologetic way and say that, you know, he had no idea. More than one of them said they didn't have any idea this was still going on. But in turn, he apologized and said, hey, Retta, I'm guilty of this type of discrimination. So it was voted out, Roland, um, 12, unanimously, 12 eyes to zero nays. And um, I, I believe uh, my desk mate even said, we were all shocked that we got it out 12-0. Um, it went through calendars last week. And y'all know this is way late in the game. Um, it got set. Last, I guess, what, Tashar, I, I text you early in the week that it was about 9.30. The calendars committee met um, earlier this week, and it got set for Wednesday. Um, so today, you know. Tashar, Tash, Tash, go ahead, Roland. I, I, I want to pull Tashar in. You mentioned Tashar. I want to pull her in, uh, Tashar. Uh, look, this has been a battle a lot of black women on television have had to deal with uh, for a very long time, uh, and it's only recent, very recent, and I'm talking about the last two or three years where you have seen yeah. more black women uh, being allowed to wear natural hair on television uh, because what we're dealing with, and this is what people have to understand, 
These are examples of the stuff that black people have to deal with just to be able to coexist in America. We have to we have had to conform to white standards when it comes to hair, clothing, how we talk, how we act. And this, I mean, you would think, why do you need to have a bill to say, don't screw me because of my hair? But that's the reality we're living in. Yeah, it's sad in 2021 that we need any type of legislation uh, to make us uh, be allowed. And it's sad that we even have to say allowed, right, uh, to coexist in these exact same spaces. It's really because of that Eurocentric standard of beauty that has been perpetuated, um, not just in our industry, but in many industries, but certainly for women that have to be on you know, television and broadcast journalism all the time. And so uh, you're right. As of the last few years, yes, we've had women well before uh, the last few years wearing their natural hair on TV. But I think the movement has really gained steam. You know, the Crown Act certainly playing a role in that uh, in gaining steam across the, the country and even across the world. Because I'm actually uh, participating in something called World Afro Day. But anyways, I, I do feel like, you know, in the last few years, people have become more aware of it. And I think that's one of the reasons that I wanted to get involved, because you know, it wasn't until I got into this industry that I realized that me changing my hair was considered a thing, right? You know, before then, black women, we change our hair all the time. These are styles that have been around for years. They're coming back in different forms, but these are styles that have been around for hundreds of years. And so that's why I thought it was important to get involved with it because, you know, that Eurocentric standard of beauty that you alluded to is something that's been around for far too long. And I feel like it's time for us to step up and, and you know, just be able to do our jobs without worried about being worried about, you know, how we wear our hair to work, we're going to be able to do the same type of work. And so, yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, I think it, time's up for all of that. And I think right now is the time to do it, especially with this legislation um, being discussed right now. Representative Bowers, uh, so it came out of committee. Um, had, when do you think it will be uh, approved by the full House uh, and then go to the Senate? Okay, so if we can get it heard, it's on the calendar right now. Uh, I want y'all to know we're on page 16. The Crown Act, House Bill 392, is on page 16. And as it stands right now, we are at the top of page four, possibly. Yeah, so today it won't be heard. I, I don't believe it's going to be heard. And, you know, this may be because bills have to can only be heard on the floor up until midnight tomorrow we may have i hate to say it but we may have pushed it as far as we're gonna get it um but these are you know i listened to some of the things y'all were saying earlier these are the type of games that are that are played so mm. you know in my mind i i sit on the floor or in my daily comings and goings and think sometimes, you know, did they just say, Hey, give her, give her, let her, let her bill be heard, set it, set it for a committee hearing, get it out. We'll get it on the calendar, but that's all it's going to do. Cause we know this is way late in the game. I mean, the clock is ticking. Uh, right. Uh, final point here to Shara. Uh, we are perpetually, having to educate white folks. White folks in this country don't like 1619 Project, but this is the kind of stuff, you heard the representative say this, white colleagues saying, oh my God, I had no idea, and admitting yeah. that they actually did it themselves. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's the whole deal. I mean, so when people have this whole this notion that no, we're all on the same page, it's like, no, we are constantly having to educate 
white folks about their racism when they even even then this this is this happens with white liberals this happens with folks who say oh no 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 i'm not racist yeah but when you don't want to hire somebody because of their hair hell we looking at your stringy ass hair and not sitting there wondering why you got a job <laughs> Orola, let, let me be clear. You know, I'm still getting emails till this very day from folks basically saying, hey, I'm tired of y'all talking about black hair and professionalism, but we won't stop talking about it because I have a show that airs every Thursday on WFA ABC Dallas. It's called Rooted. And folks are tired of hearing about the, the, the black hair conversations that we've been having simply to make sure that we're bringing attention to the Crown Act and to make sure people are aware of these things. So the fact that I'm still consistently receiving those types of emails on a daily basis, if you go over to our WFAA Facebook page and look at some of the comments underneath the stories that I've been shared, uh, sharing, I heard Representative Bowers mention Dakari Davis, the dark police officer here in Dallas, who ended up cutting his hair because he was told the hairstyle, cornrows, braided hairstyle, a black man, told that this hairstyle was unapproved and unprofessional. And so when you think about some of those comments and some of the things that are still happening right now, we know that this conversation needs to happen and we know that it needs to continue to happen because if I continue to get those emails, people are still leaving uh, those types of comments on, on social media and elsewhere. You know, it hasn't resonated. Even with the Crown Act, you know, I hate to say it, it still may not click to some people why this is an important topic. So I would hope that people would understand that this is important for everybody. Studies have already shown that when you're able to show up authentically as yourself, you perform better. So this isn't something that's just good for black women, black people, black children. This is something that's good for your company, your business. I know a lot of folks always talk about money as the bottom line. Well, hey, bottom line is if we're able to show up as ourselves, we're going to perform better. So I hope they consider that as we uh, continue to have these conversations. And like Representative Bowers you know, mentioned, regardless of what happens with the crowd, like we know what we want to happen, but regardless of what happens with it, I think this conversation needs to continue because people are still being impacted by this on a daily basis. All right, Tashara Parker, Representative Bowers, we'll appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, it will get through the Texas House and go to the Senate and actually sign into law. Republicans, y'all can lose do one thing right this legislative session. We appreciate both of y'all. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks, Rolla. All right, thanks a lot. As I said at the top, folks, we're here broadcasting live from Jack Case High School here in Houston, Texas. Uh, this is ground zero for a lot of the voter suppression uh, battles that have been going on because of how innovative uh, folks have been uh, in this uh, particular county. In fact, Republicans were so angered, were so angered uh, by voter turnout by Democrats here, they actually passed a law to outlaw straight ticket voting. Yeah. That's what they actually did. Joining us right now is Harris County Commissioner uh, Rodney Ellis, uh, and who uh, he's all, yeah, he's always riding his bike around, uh, and so uh, that's why he got his bike over here, got got his little biking outfit on. I ain't gonna say nothing uh, about them black socks he got on uh, with them gray shoes, but it's I ain't gonna say. Oh, you ain't lying. That's generational, like like you ain't lying, cause I. I can't wear no black socks unless I got some black shoes on. That's just me. I can't see. You see right here. I can't. I can't. I'm just I, glad you have socks on. I can't. As youthful as you want to be. Hey, 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 as youthful as I am. You just remember, this is my major Taylor outfit. So I know you spent some time in Chicago. This is your black history moment. What so is long this? Long before Jack Yates was playing football and basketball, Major Taylor, who died in Chicago was the most internationally known athlete in the world, and what did he do? He was cycling. 
He was cycling. He was cycling. Internationally, no. Google him. Seriously, you ought to do a show on that. But look, I'm glad you're here. Uh, you're right across from the home of George Floyd, by the way. Not only did he go to high school, he grew up in the CUNY homes. How'd you like coming down Cleburne Street? <laughs> those are county dollars. It's like you at Rice University or Harvard <laughs> with those trees, a canopy. That's why I could ride over here. You notice it's so pleasant. It feels like it's feels like I'm in Denver, Colorado, instead of Houston, Texas today. <laughs> Welcome home. See, y'all, see, that's what happened when you're the county commissioner when you say those county dollars. What he's saying is he made that happen. Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm just trying to pay it back to my alma mater. <laughs> so, you know, I went to Worthing. I didn't go to Jack Yates, but I did go to Texas Southern. Oh, I got you. I yeah. got you. Well, you know, it, you, know, it, it, you know, everybody couldn't go to the best high school in Houston. They had to go to the other little school. It's all good. My, 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 my uncle taught a long time there. Uh, so, Who's your uncle? Uh, huh? Who's your uncle? Jewel Martin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he taught at Worthing yeah, a number of years. Martin, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. So. Good genes. Huh? Good genes. Of course. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. <laughs> Let's just, I talked about uh, setting this thing up, this being ground zero. I mean, uh, when 2018, uh, I traveled around here when uh, all those sisters were running for, uh, for judge. judge. Uh, and, uh, man, Republicans, they saw what happened. They got so mad, they changed the state law to get rid of straight ticket voting because Republicans used to dominate straight ticket voting. But then y'all guys finally got, Democrats finally got smart in this county and said, why are we not taking advantage of the same law they've been taking advantage of? Then it worked so well, they got rid, they got rid of the law. You know that old saying, the same thing that will make you laugh will make you cry. So straight ticket voting did let Republicans take over this county. This is a big county, 4.8 million people. This is a medium-sized state. So Harris County is larger than 26 states in the country. And if Democrats can get Harris County, Tarrant County, which we did this last go-around, we have Travis County, Fort we have County. Tarrant County is Fort Worth. San Antonio, El San Antonio, Paso. San Antonio, Bear County, uh, San Antonio, Travis Dallas, County is Austin. Fort Worth. Dallas County is Austin. Yeah, I Dallas mean, County that, is that's Dallas. it. That's it. And the reason that they switched from straight-ticket voting is it was scaring the heck out of them. You know, let me tell you, if this state just goes purple, it'll have a tremendous impact on what happens in any presidential race. And that's why they switched to straight-ticket voting. So it's a little more difficult. We just have to educate our people from top to bottom. But, but, that's, the, but that's the presidential race. The thing, though, that, that I am constantly trying to get our audience to understand is we cannot ignore state rep and state senate races. You were one of two. There are only two black state senators uh, in Texas. You, you served in Texas legislature for a number of years as a state senator here from Houston, Royce West uh, in Dallas. And when you look at the, I'm, I'm, it was a stat earlier that I gave. There are 99 legislative bodies in America. Republicans control 61 of those 99. Folks who say, all right, man, I ain't really voting about, uh, on uh, the old small races. Yeah. But that's where the laws are being yeah. made, it in the matters, state capitals, and, not D.C. Yeah, and for congressional seats, it's on the state level where the lines are drawn for congressional seats. You remember in 2003, we broke the quorum after the Republicans decided to re-redistrict. Remember, you had to recall in California, you'd have to recount in Florida, and then they did the re-redistrict in Texas. You remember this? We broke the quorum. Of course. I remember. Stop. I remember. We broke the quorum. First of all, y'all went to Oklahoma. The House went to Oklahoma. Y'all escaped the Senate, state. And we went to New Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, it was down. We lost one of our members, and eventually they drew the lines. But look, the point is, the state races, everything on the ballot matters. You know, so like even as county commissioner, my race was the last race on 
the ballot. Because you go federal, then you go state, then you go county. Judgeships matter, state rep seats matter. And that's why these voter suppression bills are, are really so awful around the country. And in Texas, it's more difficult to vote here than anywhere in the country. We're one of the more difficult states to register to vote. So what we did, what Chris Hollins, as our elections administrator, we put the money in. We used some of the federal money, by the way, because we're during a pandemic. So we took some of that money that we got from, the, from our federal partners because of the pandemic and said, during the pandemic, we want to make it as easy to vote as possible. As easy to vote as it would be to go to the grocery store. And you had a record turnout, 24-hour voting, doing everything we could to make it easier for people to vote. And then there's a backlash to that. So the real tragedy is that with this Jim Crow 2 mentality, Republicans would prefer to change the rules than try to win in the marketplace of ideas. At the end of the day, I remember when Jesse ran in 1984, you had a lot of people who were afraid because Rip Jackson was pulling out people who normally didn't vote. Yep. But that's a good thing. Well, first of all, that's how Richard Shelby became the United States Senator in Alabama. He was elected as a Democrat. Of course, he later flipped the Republican Party. He's not a United States senator. He was not, a, well, first of all, he's not retired. Yeah. He's not a United States senator without Reverend Jackson winning in 84, running in 84, 84 and 88. But now, I will tell you why it's so important on the federal level for them to reenact the Voting Rights Act. Because if you got all these laws in all of these states, not just southern states, you right. would expect some low down, dirty, chicken shit stuff like that. In the South. But we're sitting in Iowa, Iowa, in Maine. All around the country. And it's all a part of the big lie. You know, the man lost fair and square. He lost it. And then they want to try and rig the rules, change it to try and benefit themselves. And so, look, I I hope we give an Iowa County attorney, a young African-American brother, the ability to go to court to fight these laws. I think you heard some of my former colleagues in the legislature here in Texas saying the bill on the House side is a little better than the one on the Senate. So the House bill is not quite as chicken shit as the one that came out of the Senate. They can go to a conference committee, Republicans control it, and they may decide to put it all back in. They may not. I'm told that the lawyers told the Republicans some of this stuff is just so outrageous, even in the dreaded, historically racist Fifth Circuit you would probably lose it. And that's probably why they took some things out. And the Democrats had a great point of order that they brought up early on in the Texas House. So about 3 a.m. in the morning, Republicans decided to make some concessions. Still a bad bill. It's going to be a challenge. It's important that they reenact the Voting Rights Act before September. So then all this stuff has to be pre-cleared. So, so, let, let, me, so let me drill down further. And again, and, and I'm going to keep emphasizing this point for people uh, to understand it. When we talk about, uh, so we, we talked about federal level. We talked about what's happening in Austin. But again, when you say every, you say your race was the last one. The reason you had innovation for the county uh, election administrator here in Harris County was because you had folks who voted, folks like you, in, who voted the county judge in. So you had control of the process. And so if you, to go all the way down, yes, that county commissioner, that county judge greatly impacts the entire county and voting. And, and, it's just, and, and I, keep, I keep going this over and over and over with people, and I, and I fight with folks because uh, they say, man, this really doesn't matter. But we, now we're talking about millions and billions of dollars. Now we're talking about what you said earlier, roads and uh, parks and trees and improvements. All of that 
is public policy. It is. And on the county level, this is a big county. County spends about, we control about $5 billion. A five-person governing board. Five people. Five people, $5 billion. And Republicans ran it like a plantation, controlled it for decades. And in part because of great candidates, in part because of straight-ticket voting, in part because Beto O'Rourke raised $90 million running for governor, spent a good part of it here in Harris County. Lean Hidalgo, 27 years old, became county judge. She presides over our board. Adrian Garcia, former sheriff, former police officer, former city council member, won one of the seats on commissioner's court. I was the only Democrat. So during the four years and five months I've been here, I've been, I went from being the only person of color, only Democrat, fighting what I hope was a good battle by myself with them wanting to kill me. I'd have to ride my bike with a staffer. Now that Democrats in power, I can ride my bike over here by myself. Until I come off your show, I might get somebody to give me a ride home. <laughs> but look, it's tremendous power when it matters. We could do things like after Harvey on flooding. We came up with equity guidelines on where we spend the money. So we fight that dreaded federal formula that says you spend money in the wealthier neighborhoods first. You'd never gotten to the ninth ward in Katrina using that federal formula. They got to it because of earmarking. No longer have earmarks. We have equity guidelines on how we spend our money to go in and invest in infrastructure. We can take county dollars. City, people in the city pay taxes. Why not do the university corridor? Why not fix the road and a 10-foot sidewalk on both sides of the street in, in front of the CUNY homes? Jackie H. Texas Southern going to the University of Houston. But it matters. Every race matters. And they don't want to give up this power. This county and this city are a reflection of the demographics of America. Most diverse city in the country, one of the most diverse counties. It's not all black and white. It's black, white, brown, South Asian, Muslim, Christian, gay, straight, everything that you can think of. It's a melting pot. And that scares the hell out of people who've had power, who think everybody ought to look the same way, act the same way, and have the same religion. Well, that's why and that's what they're fighting against. Me, they don't want to give up the power, which is why I keep harping on this. And if people can get mad, they can get upset, they can they can holler Jim Crow, Joe Biden, all you want to. Y'all can talk about all y'all all the stuff you want to, but this is real simple. If we allow our power to be untapped, they will they will still be in control of it. And we're talking, yes, public policy. We're talking about billions of dollars. And if they're able to gerrymander. That means, you see what's happening with the Supreme Court, what happens with the federal judiciary. We can become a nation with majority people of color, but they're still in power. Yeah. And that's the piece that people have to get. Yeah, and let me tell you, it's a big challenge. So regardless of what happens with that bill in Texas, the one in Georgia, we'll go to court, we'll fight it out. We hope on the federal level that they will have the 50 votes. Whatever Senator Manchin wants, please give it to him. Whatever. But at some point, though, at some point, though, Senator Joe Manchin is going to have to stop sniffing Gorilla Glue and all this constant talk. Because here's my whole deal. He keep hollering bipartisanship. This, this is what every national anchor should say. Okay, Joe, show me the 10. We never get them. But no, but he... But, but, but or, he you, or you got to gut the bill to go No, what I'm saying is, but he, you can gut the bill. It don't matter. They are not going to support the bill. No, so my deal is, every time Joe Manchin keeps hollering bipartisanship, Joe, show me 10. If you show me 10, I'll believe you. But you can't go get 10. Five don't matter. If you say, I'm not going to vote for the filibuster, you need 60. Joe, show me the 10, and you bring the 10, then we'll talk. Well, what I hope is that it's a process. He's just going through it. 
I mean, he's in a Republican state, the only statewide Democrat in that state. So maybe that helps him to stay in power. But at least through this cycle, if he wants no, to go through, go through the little game to figure it out, do it. But at the end of the day, we need the Voting Rights Act. Hey, everybody, everybody knows now the history of the filibuster. Right. Maybe but, they but, didn't but, before. But, the point, but, the, but this is my deal with magic. Show me the 10. It's real simple. Show yeah. me the 10. You'll never find 10. You can't find a 10. So, damn it, stop giving me this BS about bipartisanship. Let's be clear. They are not going to support H.R. 1. They're not going to support the Judge, George Floyd Justice Act. And so, if you do, you have to have the war. They won't support down. the stimulus package. They won't support the infrastructure bill. They'll spend the money. So, show you me the 10. And yeah. then send our press releases touting. Again, all I want to do is, Joe, show me the 10. Then I'll believe you. Well, then here's, back here's what I'm doing. The few people I know in West Virginia, whether they look like me, ride his ass. If they're Hispanic, if ride they're white, you ride that bike. You know, you ride them. You make the case. Now, here's what I'm thinking. I always have to remember. I was telling my county judge last night. They gerrymandered, and they got a, somebody asked, "Well, Rodney, what's your precinct? What's your district like? Where is it? You know what I tell them? Where are the Democrats? They drew the lines to put them all in this precinct. So I have to make sure when I come up with an issue that puts and put it on the table. I don't want to do, I, it was okay being by myself. I don't want to be here by myself again. Right. You got me? So I know my other two Democratic colleagues have to appeal to some of their more conservative of votes. Of course. So go, so Joe Manchin, if you got to go through the process, go through the process. Go ahead. We five said, ten. So show that you tried. Right. And then when you can't get them, they had a big show at the White House. I was listening to NPR on my bike on the way over it. Go through the show, show that they don't want to cooperate. And then at the end of the day, you tried to get bipartisan support. You couldn't get it. And then just do what's right. Bottom line is here. If Cinema and Manchin could keep this up with the filibuster, the Democrats would be in the minority after 2024. And they I'm will be out of office, by right. the way. And so my whole deal... Oh, they'll be pretty miserable in there by themselves. So my deal is Democrats start acting like Republicans. Use power, keep power. Roland, as far as I'm concerned, they ought to do the study on whether or not... You ought to expand the size of the court. It's been expanded before. I mean, this crew, they're taking all, over first, the courts. First of all, Republicans expand the Supreme Court in Arizona. Yeah. Nobody said anything. So, again, then West Virginia, they got rid of the entire state Supreme Court, which, which were majority Democrats, replaced the Republicans. So they can't act like it ain't happened on the state It's level. only a number. There's nothing magic about it. No, it's but not. let me tell you, they, did, uh, they were skillful in the way they took over the federal courts. So where do you go to get no, justice? No, 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 no. They were skillful, but there were people like me who were yelling it, but then you had other folk who said, man, to be bipartisan. man, that stuff don't matter. And I'm like, now you see the reality of what happened when you put federal judges in. So focus in that. Commissioner Ellis, I appreciate it. Let everybody know, uh, you, you got to, what, what's the little artwork? The, hey, the gloves Y'all see that? Y'all see, see his hey, art collection? I'm looking at the camera, you can see He's it. wearing his art collection, y'all. That's right. Thank you. All right, appreciate Welcome it. Home, man. It's RodneyEllis.com, so y'all can go see all his art, so all his stuff. So that's how that, that's how he rolls. All right, hop on that bike. Uh, we gonna go to commercial break. Y'all y'all get a shot of Commissioner riding his bike off. Uh, we come back. We go talk with the co-founder of Next Door, building community. That's critically important. We also talk with Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee, broadcasting live, folks, here from Houston, Texas, in front of my alma mater, Jack Case High School. We'll be back on Rolling Martin Unfiltered in just a moment. Are you trying to say that as of January 20th, that President Trump will be president? That depends on what happens on Wednesday. President Trump won this election. Do you think the election was stolen? Absolutely. At this point, we do not know who has prevailed in the election. 
This fraud was systemic, and I dare say it was effective. This is a contested election. President Trump won by a landslide. Hold on this way. The outcome of our presidential election was seized from the hands of voters. We have to make sure that they look into what has been the theft of this presidential election. Joe Biden lost and President Trump won. Whatever happens to President Trump, he is still the elected president. I would love to see this election overturned. No one believes that this guy got 80 million votes. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. No ragtag group of liberal activists will be allowed to steal this election. The president wasn't defeated by huge numbers. In fact, he may not have been defeated at all. Over the next 10 days, we get to see the ballots that are fraudulent. And if we're wrong, we will be made fools of. Black women are fierce, brilliant, courageous, dope. Black women are making a difference, making history, and changing the world. I think about all of the black women who have showed up to fight for justice. We are starting to finally accept all the skills and talents a woman can bring to the table. Urban One, thank you. This one is so special. Everyone, I'm Godfrey, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. And while he's doing Unfiltered, I'm practicing the wobble. All right, folks, welcome back to Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Jackie's High School here in Houston, Texas. Uh, glad to have all of you here. Uh, let's go right down to uh, the congresswoman for this particular district. She is in the nation's capital uh, right now. Uh, if she was in town, she would be here. Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee joins us. Congresswoman, how are you doing? I'm great, and you're absolutely right. If I was in town, I would be there. How are you, Roland? Thank you so very much for joining and coming home to your town and being at Jack Yates High School. Uh, well, it was great to present those two scholarships to the students uh, earlier today. And so, you know, we uh, we do our part, but let's get right to it. Let's talk uh, a little politics. We just heard us talk with Congress, Cong excuse me, uh, County Commissioner Roddy Ellis. Earlier, we were talking to State Senator uh, Boris uh, Miles about what's happening here in Texas. Uh, bottom line is this here. Uh, the Senate must pass H.R. 1 in order for us to deal with what Republicans are doing across this country trying to steal these elections. Well, the Senate must pass H.R. 1 and H.R. 4, which is what I have to instill in people. The John Robert Lewis voting enhancement legislation is the Red Cross umbrella on a rainy day uh, the uh, brick that stops the water, it's the uh, levees, it's everything. And yes, H.R. 1 is crucial. Right now, the Senate is engaged in shenanigans, uh, and not because uh, of uh, Senator Schumer, the majority leader, because he's working every tactic, but there are a proposal of 100 amendments in a committee markup. Uh, the Rules Committee that both the uh, Senate Majority Leader and the Minority Leader sit on, and there are equal number of votes for the Republicans and Democrats on this committee. Now, 
you can imagine what that means. Uh, and so, uh, and you cannot get a amendment passed on a split vote. So they'll go through this process and then it will go to the floor um, and there is the amendment process there as well. So it's an important bill, uh, but we must recognize that that bill is 800 pages. It has finance reform, ethics reform, and that's the trip up that the Republicans are trying to use against us. So the John Robert Lewis stands on its own two feet. It is a restoring of Section 5, and it may have to restore Section 2. Section 5 is the big one, and that is all that the Senate and House were passing in Texas would be immediately blocked if Section 5 was in place. Because under this de uh, Department of Justice, we would simply go, and I think a reasoned member of the Department of Justice under the Biden administration would say that all of this in Texas was voter suppression, uh, voter oppression, and it was strictly and predominantly minority biased. So we have different routes to go, but I don't want people to forget the H.R. 4 bill, which is the restoring of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. That is crucial. But my hat is off to uh, Boris Miles, uh, certainly my commissioner, because they've been fighting on the local government. Senator Miles, uh, Ron Reynolds, and others have been enormous fighters against these Neanderthal and vicious bills. I am incensed because the bills in the House and Senate in the Texas are pointed at the large counties. And where do people of color live? Dallas, Harris County, San Antonio, Austin. That's where these initiatives are being pointed to. And all of these bad laws or bad rules, bad laws now, the video, uh, the uh, stopping of different uh, polling places, uh, the ending of the ability to mail ballot in a, a larger scope, all of that is directed toward people of color. It is a solution running toward a problem that does not exist. And the only problem was we voted like we had never voted before in the 2020 election. The big lie. This is not the only issue the Congress is dealing with. Our panel here, uh, Scott Bolden, Lee May, uh, folks, let me know if Monique Presley is there. Uh, one of the issues that I'm sure, Scott, uh, you want to ask the Congresswoman about deals with the George Floyd Justice Act, where we the United States Senate. Scott, go ahead. Yeah, uh, Congresswoman, how are you doing? Uh, one of the things with the George Floyd Act is, is whether a qualified immunity is going to survive that bill or not. Uh, I know the um, uh, Congressman Clyburn suggested on national news on Sunday that perhaps that might be something that's negotiable. But hitting police where their pockets are when they make mistakes or they purposely kill young black men and women with their uniforms on is critical to police reform and cleaning up these police departments around the country. Any thoughts on that? Absolutely, Scott, and thank you. Uh, you, are, you would not imagine that I've been engaged in the qualified immunity uh, now uh, since uh, Brother Clyburn <laughs> made that and just got, off the phone. <laughs> yes, just got off the phone with one of the uh, uh, families, a uh, young man out of uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 
Brother Crutcher, who was shot with his hands up, his family member was on the line. Uh, as you may have known, I met with the family members and made that tour with them in the United States Senate. My meeting was to be with um, Majority Leader Schumer. And I must say that our meeting probably was one of the strongest because when we left out of there, the Majority Leader uh, indicated uh, that his uh, preference was to do nothing that the families did not want him to do and to put the strongest bill on the floor. And we discussed qualified immunity. And frankly, yeah. he was very knowledgeable about it. So here's where we are. Uh, we appreciate our uh, majority whip. Uh, and uh, we know that um, he wants to give uh, the widest uh, landscape uh, to be able to deal with this question. The people that are engaged uh, from different perspectives are wedded to qualified immunity. Qualified immunity is on the table uh, to be kept, not on the table uh, to be your meal. So we are still mm -hmm. fighting for qualified immunity. 30 years activists have been fighting for that along with 242. So what I would say to you is, no, it is uh, not at this point uh, an option uh, for qualified immunity not to be part of this bill. Uh, this has to be a moment in history where the strongest bill has to be passed. And I'm committed to continue that. Right now, we're looking at language uh, that says the same thing uh, in terms of qualified immunity, uh, but um, you know, may be able to uh, answer uh, those who really don't fully understand it. Here's my simple interpretation as I close. Qualified immunity is a judge-made concept. It's not a statute. And all that we want to do in the modification of it, meaning changing it, is to let the victim get in the courtroom the same way the officer gets in the courtroom. And what has happened before is that the victim had a stop sign at the front door of the courtroom, and because of qualified immunity, they were immediately dismissed, i.e., the Robbie, the Robbie Tolan case right there, immediately dismissed. And that is an abomination and all the good policing out there, all the good police officers, and they exist, understand the pain of families, and I believe they want justice as well. Lee, your question uh, for Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee. Thank you, Congresswoman. Uh, first of all, uh, you are my dad and my mother's Congresswoman. They live in Houston, and uh, they'll be happy to know that I'm talking to you virtually uh, as well. Uh, look, with the, with the George Floyd uh, Justice and Policing Act, I know there's components in there that are uh, mandating police body cameras, of course, for federal law enforcement, and there's requirements in there for state and local um, law enforcement agencies to utilize existing federal funding for that. But, you know, I used to be a local elected official in Georgia in DeKalb County. I was a county commissioner and chief executive officer. And one of the things that we always paid attention to, if there were penalties in place for uh, that, well, that didn't allow us to gain uh, federal funding in place. And so I was wondering if there were any thoughts about putting penalties in place for those local and state law enforcement agencies that don't take advantage of police body cameras across the entire force. Any thoughts on that? That's a good question. I think uh, the power of the purse is what you're talking about and the idea Absolutely. that they would not be uh, eligible for federal funds or burn grant dollars. And I think that has life to it. I think also 
uh, there should be language uh, now that we're seeing what's happening with Mr. Brown's case, that there should be a period of time um, where uh, you are not allowed to delay uh, the showing of the body cam to family and or community as requested. So why don't I call that next steps? I think that is something that I've certainly thought about uh, to make sure that all of this is enforced. Inside the bill, there are incentives uh, with respect to uh, funding for uh, community groups. Uh, and people have misinterpreted funding in there that it's for, um, uh, you know, policing. It's for training and for things like what you have said, that there be no one that has an excuse that they can't get body cams. And I think the very next nexus to it is what you've said, is that if you get the body cams, then we should be able to enforce your wearing and having the body cams on. Because the last thing you want to hear as a family of a loved one is that so-and-so, XYZ, did not have his or her body cam on. And we know that there are cases like that. Absolutely. All right. Congresswoman Jackson Lee, it's always a pleasure. We certainly appreciate we certainly appreciate uh, the hard work, and uh, we're going to keep uh, pushing uh, to see the George Floyd Justice Act become a reality uh, in the United States Senate. Thank you, and push for H.R. 4 and H.R. 1. Those are the voting bills. Yep. You've got to win. Thank you. Oh, hold up. I do have to ask you this here. Um, H.R. 40, uh, is that actually going to be scheduled for a vote uh, on the floor of the House? Oh, I'm so glad. you. I'm so busy doing all this other thing that I didn't mention my heart. Uh, I was on the floor again today getting co-sponsors. We are aiming toward uh, the Juneteenth date. As you well know, historically, this bill passed out of the judiciary. Never has that happened before in the history of Congress. H.R. 40 now a commission uh, that uh, uh, will, uh, in essence, uh, study slavery, but present uh, and develop reparation proposals. So, yes, we are aiming toward, we have been given uh, a projected schedule of before June 19th. So any of you who are listening, who have members of Congress that may not be on this bill, and just about everybody is, but there's some that have not made it yet, you need to encourage them to co-sponsor H.R. 40, the Commission to Study and Develop Reparation Proposals. And please let everybody know, this is legislation. This is a bill. This is an action item. This is doing and telling others to do as well. All right, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson-Lee, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, Thank you so very much. Thank you for having me. Take care now. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Folks, uh, the drone, uh, I want to go back to our drone shot to set up our next guest. The shot that you're seeing right now, this is uh, what we call Third Ward, Texas. Uh, This is an aerial shot uh, right over Jack Yates High School. You see all of those homes to the right. When you heard Commissioner talk about uh, the CUNY homes, uh, that's public housing right there. Uh, Across the street, you see those buildings. That's Texas Southern University. Uh, You see uh, down here uh, at the bottom uh, where you see uh, that, uh, you see that open area grass there well that's where the 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 old jack yates used to be uh where i actually um attended uh and then if we swing this around folks you're gonna then see uh the university of houston that's how close uh these institutions are to each other uh they're literally uh across the street and down street from each other and it's it's we talk about uh community how we interact with each other 
that really is what uh, the social media app Next Door uh, is all about. Uh, it is uh, it is uh, app. Actually, I've, I've I've gotten on it. Uh, is is really interesting. Uh, being able to actually communicate. How many of us even even know who our neighbors are? We talk about. Not just political stuff, but how do we also change neighborhoods? I, I, y'all heard me say, tell the story of my parents, Reginald and Melvin Martin. Uh, they were co-founders of our uh, civic club growing up. It was about how do we fix our community? How do we redefine our neighborhoods? And, and in many ways, that's what Next Door is all about. Uh, the co-founder of Next Door uh, joins us right now is Prakash Janaki Raman. I hope I said that correct. Uh, is the co-founder and chief architect of Next Door. Uh, did I get it right? You did, Prakash Janaki Raman, almost like my mom says it. Prakash Janaki Raman, got it. All right then. Well, Kenya we sent me the phonetic spelling. We had it straight. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and look, I know we were talking earlier about politics and uh, public policy and social movements, uh, but the reality is, when we talk about uh, getting people to vote going door-to-door, block-by-block, precinct, uh, things along those lines. Uh, that was always the case when you knew who your neighbor uh, was. Before. I mean, in many ways, we're disconnected. Uh, that, to me, I would, as I find it be very interesting, uh, with Next Door, uh, it it helps in so many of these different different ways. So whether you want to talk about how do you, as a community, deal with crime, how do you deal with uh, education, how do you deal with playgrounds, uh, to basically, hey, I'm, I'm looking for, uh, I'm new, I'm looking for a place to get my shoes repaired. Uh, 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 that's really, uh, I, I find uh, it interesting uh, how this community works. Yeah, you know, when we founded Nextdoor almost 10 years ago, one of the key insights was that most people don't actually know their neighbors. There was a Pew Research study that came out when we started the company almost serendipitously as we were trying to find an idea that said that 29% of Americans claim to know only a few of their neighbors, which really implies uh, one to two of them. And 28% of neighbors responded saying that they didn't know a single neighbor by name. So that in and of itself was quite alarming. But When you compare that to the research that shows that social capital is instrumental in building strong communities, communities that have more social capital, neighbors that know one another across the board get better in those communities with higher social capital. So crime rates drop, property values increase, education and test scores improve, and people in fact live longer in communities where they have the support of their neighbors. So we built next door from the ground up to be about the neighborhood, about building that social capital. And our app is a way for you to plug into all of the neighborhoods that matter to you. And every day, millions of people come to, to next door to get recommendations for babysitters or plumbers or auto mechanics or exchanging goods and services with their neighbors, like trying to get rid of a used couch or a used bike, or even just tapping into what's going on in the community from an event standpoint. And I know you're there in Houston today and especially during natural disasters, floods, fires, and hurricanes like Hurricane Harvey that hit Houston really hard, we found ourselves almost a part, an extension of the public infrastructure. When 911 gets a busy signal, people can back off to next door, sending an urgent alert to get the help from their neighbors that they need. So next door can be everything from a day-to-day utility all the way to a lifeline in these critical situations. Uh, how many people are now using it? We're in 11 countries, 275,000 neighborhoods around the world. We have tens of millions of members who use our product every day. 
So, um, so let's again. I, I use the example. Uh, my my parents. Uh, there were a lot of people who said, "Oh man, y'all can't start this civic club." Uh, are you seeing that? Uh, how how people who are who care about the communities, they want to see things change. Uh, how they're using it uh, for social good uh, to change their neighborhoods, change the direction, things along those lines. Uh, are, are you seeing people using it in different ways? Not just hey, I'm looking for a farmers market, but 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 really using it for social uh, change in their communities? Yeah, absolutely. One of the really unique things about Nextdoor is that it's about proximity and not preference. So when you look at other networks, you have to go build a following friend by friend or follower by follower in order to get utility out of those networks. Whereas when you come to Nextdoor, everybody that signs up for Nextdoor is a real human being verified to a real address. And so your residency in the community provides you entree into the network. And so when you join, you will find that all of your neighbors are there. So it's a great platform for local organizing because you don't need to go person by person and greet every single person or meet every single person. You actually have a broadcast medium that here at a local, hyper-local level can help you to organize people. We've launched features like product groups that allow people to come in and create affinity groups around specific issues or shared affinities like mothers groups or organizing groups. And we've also worked with larger organizations to amplify the, the good work that they're doing. So organizations like the NAACP or organizations like um, Stop AAPI Hate. We know that today there's a rash of uh, anti-Asian American and Pacific Islander violence going on, particularly in, in our hometown of San Francisco. And so when there are organizations who are trying to amplify their message, Next door is a great place to do that at a hyper-local level where you can reach the people that you're trying to reach. Question uh, for Scott Bold. You got a question about next door? <clears throat> I do, actually. Uh, congratulations. This, this sounds like a great initiative and program. I got to tell you. you, I'm one of the guys that doesn't know his neighbors. My wife knows all the neighbors and all their business, if you will. And it really is about being intentional about taking time to do it, and I, I'm just not intentional about it, is either work or, or something. And so um, what do you say to guys like me who really like the concept of next door, who really want to know their neighbors, but just aren't intentional about getting to know them? And what's the bit, what, what am I missing by not getting to know my neighbors? Yeah, look, it's a good question, right? We often, I often, as a founder of the company, when people hear that I, I work at Nextdoor, they will often say exactly what you said, which is, oh yeah, my wife uses that app. And I think as, right. as we know, there's, there is a lot of value um, to knowing your neighbors beyond just whether you're gonna have a backyard barbecue with them or even spend time with them. We think of it as a utility-based service, a service where you can come and without knowing a single individual, get a ton of value out of them. So there may be a case where you need to find a recommendation for a local service provider. Who better to ask than the people who live in your community? If you need to repair something in your home, who better to ask than someone who lives in the neighborhood where the homes are quite similar to your own? Sure. And so I think sure. there are all these different vectors of value where you can get that value from the network just as a hive mind of local knowledge as opposed to individuals that you're trying to connect with. So we often say, come to Nextdoor for the utility first and then stay for the affinity, because as you start to have those interactions, those helpful interactions, and our purpose, you know, the mission for Nextdoor, the 100-year vision, is to cultivate a kinder world 
where everyone has a neighborhood they can rely on. And as you unpack that, it's about these helpful interactions that happen every day that build towards that goal of kindness and that goal yeah. towards people having the support of the neighborhood when they need it. Doesn't need to be every day, doesn't need to be a hundred times a day that you're pulling to refresh to use our app. We're there when you need us and your neighbors are there when you need them. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Lincoln. I'm gonna go meet another neighbor tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, well, in fact, one of the things <laughs> Lee, is, what's the question? We, we conducted a research survey that said that knowing as few as six of your neighbors greatly right. reduces the probability that you will be lonely or depressed. So there are actually health benefits <laughs> to knowing your neighbors, strangely enough. So that is good. That is That's good. It. I don't even have a response to that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I have a question. Uh, Lee, Lee, go not, ahead. I am not a user yet of Nextdoor. Um, but after your presentation, I think I'm going to go ahead and check it out, download the app and all that. Look, about a year and a half ago, right before the pandemic hit, uh, someone, some kids, kicked in our front door in the middle of the day, about two in the afternoon. And, uh, and it was at that moment that I realized, although I know who many of my neighbors are, you, said, you hit it on the head, I don't know all their names, Number two, we don't know enough about each other to, to be helpful. But then I realized when that happened, uh, some of my neighbors were, they were at home and they came out and came running down the street and was like, Lee, which embarrassed me because they knew my name. I didn't know all theirs. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and so they came and just kind of began to share what they all saw. And the, and the police department began to piecemeal the different things. And some of us uh, had... Uh, electronic security surveillance. I won't mention their name because I uh -huh. guess in some way they're a competitor. But uh, <laughs> but it also helped to piece together all of what everyone saw, what was seen on camera, what people personally saw mm -hmm. and heard. I get the sense that next door can be actually helpful in in, in situations like that to allow the entire neighborhood to know what's going on and allow them to be helpful in any way that they can. Yeah, I think anything that relates to neighbors helping neighbors is somewhere that we want to play in the space. We don't want to be uh, necessarily a surveillance app or thought of as a, a neighborhood watch app. There's lots of problematic use cases around that as well. But we mm -hmm. think that when neighbors can support one another, that's when we're really at our best. No, that's good. That's good. Excellent. All right, then. Excellent. Uh, well, uh, for cash, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, and folks, uh, we're looking forward to um, uh, uh, creating uh, some uh, unique and interesting content on next door. So uh, look for that uh, real soon. Uh, can't wait to actually do that. Uh, and matter of fact, uh, you, you know so what? Much, I, think, I think what might be interesting. I, I think what might, might be interesting is uh, I might uh, pull on. Maybe maybe we do something. I have my parents, and I bring them on, and we talk about uh, how they built uh, a thriving civic club by linking up with neighbors. Could be some people out there who are interested in doing it where they live. Yeah, absolutely. We would love to have you on the platform, Roland. We'd love to see your parents on the platform. But I think at the end of the day, there's so much value in knowing your neighbors. And we very, very strongly believe in this purpose and mission of cultivating a kinder world because the neighborhood can be the unit of change in a world that's more divided and polarized and uh, lonely than ever before. Again, let's go find a way to meet six of our neighbors and and, and rebuild that crumbling community infrastructure and get, get back together on this. 
All right, then. Well, we surely appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Uh, and, uh, again, folks, you can uh, download the, the app next door. Uh, check it out and uh, find out uh, who your neighbors are. Prakash, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you for having me, Roland. Appreciate it. Uh, all right, folks. Got to go to a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk uh, about the N-word. Is it a fighting word? A court is ruled. That's next on Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Jack Case High School, my alma mater in Houston, Texas. Back in a moment. The lonely, the alienated, the sad, and the angry. In every country torn by strife, violence, and hardship, men and women are drawn to extremist leaders, promising to take on the enemies of their people. In America, some of our lost souls respond in a similar way to the call of influential voices. But instead of militant preachers or radical clerics, every single night in America, they can listen to our own angry advocates of division and conspiracy. Confused, angry people hear the call of these voices and take on the camouflage of warriors to threaten and even kill civilians. The radicalized Republican Party and the twisted people on TV who speak for them use the very same language of intolerance and rage to provoke those alienated people, actively pouring kerosene on the fire of social unrest. And until we all reject these poisonous voices, the result will inevitably be escalating violence and tragedy. the woman we are here we are capable my optimism for our future has never been greater than now black women are making a difference making history and changing the world hi i'm kim burrell hi i'm carl Payne. hey everybody this is sherry shepherd you're watching roland martin unfiltered Folks, the federal court has ruled that being called the N-word does not fall under the fighting words exception in the First Amendment. The fighting word doctrine allows the government to limit speech when it is likely to incite immediate violence or retaliation by the recipients of the words. What does that mean? It means that people who use the N-word will not face criminal charges. They are protected by the nation's current free speech regime. But Scott, it still might get you an ass whooping. Yeah, and we, you and I have talked about this, and I think they'd get an ass whooping from you. So I, I, when I read this story, I was thinking of you in mind and the ass whooping that you would be given. But, but, but there's hope in this decision. Let me, let me break this down. Uh, you're right about what you're reporting, but this was a case where the N-word was used on a military base at a retail shop, and the context of when it was used uh, it was used by itself in a, in a question. It was bizarre exchange between him, the, 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 the lieutenant or the military person, and the, uh, the salesperson. There was no violence. There was no heated argument. There was no progression. And so the circumstances surrounding the use of the N-word 
uh, was almost a rhetorical question in this context. And there the court said you needed more to fit into that fighting word exception, and the surrounding facts just simply weren't there. So I don't want to read too much into this decision because the state court and the appellate court in, in, um, in that jurisdiction should have done more uh, uh, digging. And so the court found that the N-word used in that context, under that circumstance and fact, uh, was not, uh, you couldn't criminalize it under that state statute. And so I think they were right about that, given the facts. But if there were heated words and if there was a subsequent fight, I think the ruling would have been different. The facts just weren't there. Uh, let's talk about uh, these uh, wild, out-of-control police officers, Lee, uh, in, in uh, Louisville. An ex-detective in Louisville uh, is going to spend a year <clears throat> in prison uh, for admitting his actions wrongfully uh, convicted two men. Mark Handy pled guilty to perjury and tampering with evidence in the cases of Edwin Chandler and Keith West. Chandler spent nearly a decade behind bars while West spent seven years in prison before getting pardoned in 2019. As part of Handy's plea deal, he will not be able to ask for probation uh, for his one-year sentence. Lawyers for the exonerated men want the Department of Justice to investigate civil rights violations in Louisville. See, Lee, here's what's... So, brother spends 10 years in jail. Another spends seven years in jail. This dude gets one year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, you know, it, 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 it's ridiculous, man. And it, and it goes to the people's mistrust of the system, the judicial system. It's mistrust of law enforcement officers, regardless of even their color or background or experience. You know, it's, it's things like this. And you know the, the minority can, uh, can impact what you believe about the majority and all of that. Uh, here's the deal. It even goes connected to the whole conversation about qualified immunity. You know, people can be harmed by the police. They can be harmed by law enforcement, and, and they don't get their just due uh, in court. They don't get uh, a, a, a recompense in terms of um, getting their lives back, getting uh, monies back that they lost as a result of all this, man. Mm -hmm. And there needs to be substantive change, man. And, you know, you look at things like the George Floyd uh, Justice and Policing Act, things like that, it begins to make those steps forward. But uh, but we got to do better, man. And I'll also say this about our law enforcement officers. You know, when people talk about reforming policing or reimagining or reframing or re defunding and things like that, I think what people are basically saying is we got to do better. We got to do better. And I believe it's about training. Yes, it is about training. But we also got to look at who we are allowing to protect us and to serve us exactly. law enforcement. We got to do a better exactly. job filtering these candidates out who are coming in to quote unquote protect and, and serve us, man. We we got to look at that big time because, you know, you got you got bad in, it's going to be bad out, you know? And so we got to look at who we're bringing in uh, in the front door. Well, I, I got to give somebody uh, yeah. in the front door and check out how this crazy food in Georgia. <laughs> uh, Chief Magistrate Judge Kerry Hayes III says an inmate cursed <laughs> at him numerous cool. times during his bail hearing in December. According <laughs> to the complaint, Judge Hayes followed the defendant 
out of the courtroom, grabbed him by the shoulder, and pushed him against the wall, all while he was still bound by handcuffs and in leg shackles. Now Hayes is facing charges for misconduct and violating the state's judicial code. The Georgia Judicial Qualifications Commission is set to review the case and consider what punishment to propose to the Georgia Supreme Court. Judge Hayes could be removed from his position or reprimanded for his actions. How about charges asked with assault? You mad because somebody cussed at you? Oh, that judge should be removed quickly, <laughs> Scott. <laughs> He said he couldn't take that shit no more. If you read, if you read the report, he says he got cursed out while he was on the bench. And so when they walked him back, he followed him back. And by the way, the prisoner, the defendant, was handcuffed and he had leg shackles on. And the judge in the back took him in the back and pushed him up against the wall <laughs> and, was, and was cursing him out and, and did put his hands on him. And you're right, he could be charged or should be charged with assault. But uh, talk about judicial temperament or the lack thereof. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, I think it's... I think Lee, what's wrong with your Georgia people, man? man yeah, man, I what's think wrong it, with your people? <laughs> I think the judge's theme song was Nuck if you buck, Nuck, Nuck if you buck. I don't know what <laughs> he was thinking man you know and let's be clear i'm a pastor let's not forget i'm a pastor so i'm a man of grace right and because and, the lord has been good to me even when i haven't been good right but this joker right here need to get the maximum whatever the penalty is man then he then he says this he said well in no way did i hurt or harm this individual what? yeah i didn't injure him i didn't injure him yeah, I didn't that's injure. what he said i didn't injure him what? You put your hands on him, that's assault. Right. And then, you, oh, you feel, you, you big and bad now because he is cuffed, he's handcuffed, he can't do anything to you, and if he doesn't... And do leg something, shackles. The, the yeah, he had hand shackles. He had leg shackles on. He couldn't even walk. <laughs> man, throw the book at this judge, man. Throw the book at him, man. Ain't no grace in this one. I'm sorry. I don't care what the offender did. Throw the book at this judge. <laughs> send a, I, send a I agree. Folks, folks, we're here uh, as we're here uh, at Jack Hayes High School uh, in, in in Houston, Texas. In front of the high school is this mural uh, for George Floyd Jr. And uh, this uh, is uh, fitting for our next uh, story here because uh, Derek Chauvin, the man who was found guilty of killing George Floyd, uh, y'all, he is going to be facing uh, potentially a lot, a lot of jail time uh, as a result uh, of the action. The judge ruled today uh, that uh, there are aggravating factors in the death of George Floyd. Cahill found that Chauvin abused his authority as an officer when he restrained Floyd with his knee on his neck for over nine minutes. He also said uh, that uh, Chauvin uh, treated Floyd with particular, with particular cruelty and did so in the presence of children. Uh, Judge Cahill's ruling allows uh, for Chauvin's sentence to, to, uh, to be more than the standard 40 years for a second-degree murder charge. Chauvin's sentencing debt is June 25th. Scott, uh, tell us, you know, legally, what does that mean for the judge to lay out that, uh, that sort of a ruling? Okay, so that means that the judge on the Minnesota law can what we call 
uh, upwardly depart. So under Minnesota law, he can only be sentenced with the most serious charge he was convicted of, which is murder two, which is a maximum uh, you set up to 40. Uh, but this is his first time offense. I think under their guidelines, the max he could get under the guidelines is 12 years. Now with the aggravating factors where the court made a ruling and a finding, that means this judge is, is laying the groundwork to sentence Chauvin above that 12 years and how much above will be subject of the sentencing hearing. Now, be careful with this, because this is a good thing. At the same time, though, both sides can appeal the, uh, the judge's sentencing, uh, whatever his decision is, if he upwardly departs from that 12-year max. You follow me? So you got to be careful here, because you may be giving uh, the defendant an appeal issue if you if the record is not completely full, stacked, and clear of evidence on those exceptions or aggravating factors, uh, and then if he's sentencing, especially if he's sentencing, sentencing takes place and it's more than 12 years. So that's something for us to watch next month when he's sentenced. Uh, well, absolutely. So we'll certainly be uh, uh, looking out for that, uh, folks. Uh, uh, just a couple other stories that I want to uh, share with you. Uh, Purvis Staples, an original member of the legendary uh, group, the Staples Singers, has passed away. Uh, it was announced today. He died on May 6th at his home in Dalton, Illinois. Uh, Purvis sang tenor in his family's group, primarily backing up his father, Roebuck Pop Staples. He contributed to songs like Uncloudy Day and a rendition of Will the Circle Be Unbroken? He left the group over differences with his father before they achieve major success. Purpose was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame along with the Staples Singers in 1998 and was honored with a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 2005. He was 85 years old. Uh, mm. Also, folks, um, since uh, we are here, uh, we're going to close it out this way. Uh, I told you we're here at Jack Case High School and some great news for a graduate of Jack Case High School in Houston, Felicia uh, Rashad. She is the new dean of the College of Fine Arts being reestablished at Howard University. Uh, the decision was made today that the award-winning actress uh, is going to begin her role on July 1st. She had served as a guest lecturer and adjunct faculty member, conducting master's-level classes at many colleges, universities, and arts organizations. She graduated uh, magna cum laude with a bachelor's in fine arts from Howard University in 1970. And so congratulations to uh, Felicia Rashad, uh, one of our uh, uh, great uh, graduates uh, of Jack Case High School, uh, headed back to our alma mater, Howard University. Folks, that is it for us. I want to thank Lee. I want to thank Scott for joining us. Uh, again, broadcasting here tomorrow. We are going to be broadcasting uh, the march for Pamela Turner. Uh, talk about Black Lives Matter. Uh, that mural that we're showing you right now, folks, uh, this is for George, uh, George Floyd here, right outside of Yates High School. But tomorrow, we're going to be broadcasting at noon. Uh, this rally, a black woman who was killed a year ago tomorrow in Baytown, Texas, shot and killed by an officer. Uh, she's she was pregnant 
Uh, and that officer has not lost his job. He's still on the job. And so we'll be live streaming that rally featuring uh, attorney Ben Crump until Freedom and so many others who will be there. And so please join us tomorrow at 12 Eastern uh, for that. And also, folks, we ask that you support what we do here at Roland Martin Unfiltered. Your dollars make it possible for us to be able uh, to broadcast here, uh, to broadcast um, uh, on location. Uh, and so we're certainly glad uh, to be here. We want to thank uh, everyone as well. Uh, you can support us via Cash App, dollar sign RM Unfiltered. Uh, also, uh, of course, uh, Venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered. Uh, then, of course, you have PayPal.me forward slash Martin Unfiltered. Zale is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Uh, and then, of course, you have uh, rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. Thank you so very much, uh, folks. Uh, also, I want to thank uh, the two students uh, who uh, I gave scholarships out. We live streamed that a little bit earlier today. Uh, and so we certainly uh, want to thank them as well. Uh, and so when it, and so tomorrow what we'll do is we'll show you some of that uh, ceremony. You can actually go look at it right now, folks, uh, if you want to. Uh, and so you can check it out uh, as well. And so, uh, again, want to thank all the folks here at Jack Hayes High School, the Houston Independent School District, Superintendent uh, Granita Lathan, who is, of course, leaving to go to Springfield, Missouri. We wish her well. Uh, Principal Guillory, thank you so very much uh, for folks allowing us to be able to do what we do to be out here uh, again at my alma mater. Thank you so very much, folks. And also to the students uh, at the Jack Hayes High School, Magna School of Communications, uh, who helped us out. We want to give them some real-world experience, what it's like to actually work on a broad Podcast. Uh, and so uh, they helped us out, set up uh, running cameras as well. And so that's what we're all about, offering opportunities uh, for the next generation. And so uh, that is it for us, folks. Uh, we will see you tomorrow, noon, noon Eastern, uh, where we will be broadcasting that rally. I'm sorry, noon Central Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, that rally in Baytown, Texas, for Pamela Turner. Thank you so very much, folks. Y'all take care. Holla! I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 